Hello, and welcome to Gen Nomadic, a podcast and community created by and for the next generation of globally-minded nomads. My name's Julia, and I'm 18 years old, about to enter into a world of post-pandemic apocalypse. I'm just as lost and confused as the rest of you might be, trying to figure out how to navigate a world of such uncertainty. I want to work and travel, but I have some questions, like do I need a degree? How do I travel ethically? Where can I find like-minded people, and will travel still exist post-pandemic, or is it just a thing of the past? Here at Genomatic, I want to create a community of like-minded travelers searching for a lifestyle that works for them. Each week, I'll interview global mentors and explore alternative lifestyle, sustainable travel, and weekly news about how the travel landscape is shifting in the midst of COVID-19. Through Genomatic, I want to empower you to explore the roads less traveled and to find out how you can create a fulfilling, purpose-driven alternative lifestyle in the midst of global chaos. Hey, New Age Nomads, welcome to this week's episode. This week, I am interviewing from a woof in Puerto Rico. Um, I am with my homestay. Her name is um, Swan and Booker, and I'm here with my friend Ella and her brother and his girlfriend Gabby, um, and we're all staying on the farm and woofing for the next week, and we were just here last week, and this interview is all about kind of the ups and downs of woofing, the things that no one really talks about, about woofing mindsets, romanticizing woofing, and just all about like our homestays like story and just everything that they're about and kind of their vision for their farm and organic farming. So I'm so excited to show you this episode and share all of these like woofing mindsets and tips with you all. And I hope you enjoyed the podcast. My name is Swan. My husband's name is Jay. He's not here right now, but Booker's here, our son, Booker. Hi, I'm Booker. <laughs> and we're here at Caribbean Yard Dust, our farm and our um, creation that we want to build. Yeah, so can you tell us a little bit about how this farm got started, kind of your story and what you guys are doing now and kind of your whole vision for the farm as okay. well. For, first, I'll start with the vision because the vision really is we have 10 acres that um, we are, we've inherited for this period of time, you know, we'll die one day, <laughs> but we have it for now. And we feel like we really want to uh, be involved in reforesting the land because we feel like the value of trees and the value of, um, nature is really important. Uh, we live in Puerto Rico, so Puerto Rico has been through a lot of catastrophes and a lot of really serious history like the rest of the world and there's been severe deforestation and there's been colonization and there's been um, suffering there's been hurricanes and then there's been commercialism that's you know basically not in alignment with nature and alignment with building true wealth that for the people including the Puerto Rican people including the whole the whole world the world this is an island, but we're really connected to the whole world, and we feel a deep calling to try to do something, you know, and this is what we feel like we could do. So we would really like to be able to have people come and help us um, manifest that dream and then share the fruits of the labor. Definitely. So how did you guys start kind of finding this property and kind of like starting the whole creation of this vision? Well, it's like a, your whole life is like a story that you're writing and you constantly evolve it, you know, because we were talking about the same things, you know, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, we used to live in the Virgin Islands 
and uh, it's really like we said disaster after disaster as far as hurricanes. Hurricanes were taking down all the big trees. Development was taking down all the trees. Gentrification was a big problem. All the food was imported, but it's also very expensive to live there. So we ended up moving to Puerto Rico because we were able to buy a small farm in the very remotest area of Puerto Rico where we lived for 10 years. And uh, our son Booker was only six months old when we moved there. Um, it was a really wonderful experience on one level, but it was really, really difficult because you can seriously underestimate the difficulty of living in an economically depressed area. Um, the heavy, not so much economy, really, really heavy rainfall, a lot of depressed people and alcoholism. Uh, we tried to start woofing there and our, our farm wasn't really suited very well for that because of the high rainfall and because we lived basically in a watershed that was super steep. So it was a huge transition to constantly look for another farm where we could say we want to live the rest of our lives because that really was the wrong spot for us to do it sustainably for a long period of time. Uh, so it, it's been really a journey. You know, we, we, got on the, we got this land like four years ago and financially we had, you know, we were under pressure to make the move. Either we made the move or we kept renting an apartment and trying to sell our place, which selling the place was, that we had in the mountains was difficult. Like, um, so moving here was, um, we, we, we made a lot of sacrifices. For instance, I was just telling um, our current visitors, <laughs> And our interviewer that we lived in a tent for five months on this piece of land in order to make this happen you know as we built small little accommodations for ourselves as we lived through like severe thunderstorms and you know there's multiple difficulties living in Puerto Rico but we still maintain the, the, the vision to us it was better to be on the land and to feel that than to be feeling like it was impossible to make the change like the amount of um it was worth it it was it was worth it yeah definitely that makes a lot of sense it, it seems like it's definitely paid off and it is definitely worth it um so why did you start you kind of talked touched on this a little bit but why did you start um kind of accepting woofers and like how has that journey been so far it's been very enlightening uh, working with other people because I feel like when I, even though I'm the same person and had a lot of the same values, um, it requires that you continue to learn about yourself and other people. And we started it because we were just really hoping that we could make our situation in the deep mountains of Puerto Rico work. So we actually put in an incredible amount of energy to have people come. And it was a, a learning experience, a humbling learning experience, because sometimes there would be people who would come and there would be an amazing experience where you were, it was so humbling because they, they wanted to help so much and they came forward in all of these different ways. And then there were other experiences that were extremely difficult because people weren't ready for the work and because, um, you know, they had, they, Basically, they weren't ready for the work, and we did a lot of work to get them there because when we lived in the mountains, there's very little public transportation, so we would go long distances to get people. and We'd have long phone conversations to bring them there, and then we'd get them there, and it didn't work out. So it's been, you know, back and forth. And, like, 
we continue to feel motivated about it because we've had so many good experiences and like the idea of woof is very beautiful but we continue to refine that but we got into it because we really you know we were hopeful that um could work out it sounded amazing you know yeah definitely um so what have some of those successful situations woofing looked like um you know, it's so difficult to say, too, because sometimes people think, well, it's just, oh, you want somebody to work really hard or, um, you know, and then not want anything or like they have to have a certain skill. And that's not always the case. The case, it's it's more like a person by person basis because people, you want people when they come to your home to feel your situation, to like empathize with you because you want to empathize with them. But you, um, the good ones have been people who, who who basically felt us, I have to say, because there's been people who've contributed in different ways. There have been people who've came and they would like work. When I didn't have the inspiration, they would continue to work. There were times where people would, like a one girl I remember, she hadn't been able to work for this period of time and she was kind of like seeing this other guy while she was here and stuff and she felt so badly about that. One time it was like the last few days she was, she worked like every day up in the rain. Like it was raining and no one else would work, but she was out there like working, you know, and the rain and then she came in all muddy and it was like, wow, you know, like she was out there working and like another person would come, like I was telling you guys about the girl that was going to um, graduate school at Harvard and I couldn't believe, you know, she signed up and wanted to come to our farm. But luckily, she was the type of person who, she'd been in the Peace Corps in Senegal. And she came and she just had this thing about service. You know, so not only did she help the hours on the farm, like she would just find ways to like help with our son Booker, like in, and um, he was younger at the time, like to just spend time with him. And like, she was like, it was like six o'clock at night. She was like out there scrubbing the porch. And, you know, she really, really felt us and like for years like she sends us cards and stuff. like she felt us and then we felt her and then there was that, that connection but she hadn't ever farmed or anything like that before um but then there's also people like we had some recent people like uh, Karen and Gabby and they um because of the coronavirus and because of uh, the way we've developed this farm um and because of their lifestyle and they had a car they they didn't spend so much time constantly you know with us like that where they were living with us staying up but they would come and they they put in so much work and so much of themselves and they felt us you know they felt that here these people are, are all trying because they've tried things and failed and they know because they're disciplined people and they know how life is you know and you can try and try and they could see that in us we're trying to do something and they can see it in us so you know they they contributed and it gave us a lot of incentive to keep doing work Definitely. So that is one positive piece of the puzzle. Yeah. And what can you talk a little bit more about the negative situations that you've had? Maybe some of those stories, how that's felt, how that's, yeah, just shaped your ideas of woofing as well. Um, the negative side. You ready for that? We're ready. <laughs> okay. The negative side is that we are... Uh, on a shoestring and we aren't an institution other than a family and the majority of the people who come to WIF are from the first world and they're from you know lifestyles of 
of plenty. Otherwise, they really wouldn't be traveling. You know, even people that live in the States that don't have the means are not traveling. So um, there's a little bit of... And, and, and everyone in the United States has heard about, you know, woofing and sustainability and planting trees. And I see these ads of plant five billion trees in the Amazon and you put some money in and stuff. And meanwhile, like you put a dollar into those trees and like you drink a six dollar thing from Starbucks. So look at this real disconnect of what's going on on this planet and how people are connected with that problem. And people would show up with that mentality in our home. And we're coming out of ourselves. We're trying to like be bigger than ourselves and you know contribute and a lot of people just haven't gotten there in their evolution yet you know they they just aren't there and so they can't feel us and then we all of a sudden you know it's just a, di a disconnect and also you know that that makes it bad because generally most of the people not most of the people but a, a great quantity of them are unable to do any type of physical labor like even for three hours so not only, you know, so, and, and also, and then they're missing their Starbucks coffee, you know. So some of those experiences, been, there's been a lot of negative experiences. I'm, I'm honest about that. And I also feel as though um, a lot of it had to do with our leadership capacity as well. And our mistakes with not vetting the right people, being, you know, uh, too optimistic about what it was and not being organized enough paired with the fact that the people weren't ready at all okay yeah no definitely and can you give us some ex examples of like the types of people that you've seen or kind of like experiences that you've had maybe some examples um just kind of going a little bit deeper into that like kind of the negatives of that woofing experience okay i'm trying to think of a particular individual maybe <laughs> and it'll be more clear like um A person who comes, this is, a, this is a slight other variation of this, but it's the same thing, is I understand that people want to save money while they're traveling. And we're understanding that that's, you know, that's part of this. And that's a beautiful thing because if we can make exchanges without money, then we leave the system behind. However, we all are depending on buying stuff at this point because to this date, we still have not created a farm that sustains and can sustain other people because we've had plenty of visitors that would come and not be able to deal with the situations and then be a somewhat of a burden and then leave and we still didn't plant any food so there's a reality to this and then there's also the reality of, of what's going on in Puerto Rico because we've just had you know, eight months of a pandemic. So it's been few and far between. And before that, you know, things were shut down. There were these earthquakes and then the economy's bad in Puerto Rico. And, you know, before that there was Hurricane Maria. So there's been incredible amounts of setbacks. And so when people come with this attitude, like I'm coming to save the planet to your farm and then you give them a shovel and they can't dig a hole and you've already, you know, it, it, it happens and it happens too much. You know, so that's what we're trying to figure out with this podcast and that's what we're trying to eliminate, you know, and we have to be straightforward about that because it needs to be addressed. Booker, you have anything to add to any of those stories or ideas? Um, 
You're not being recorded. Just act like you're not being recorded. Yeah, I'm just, just wondering. Um, like, people will come and they'll think that, um, yeah, I can use a shovel. Yeah, I can work outside and I love nature and all these things. Um, because in their mind, it all is easy and it all makes sense. But the realities are a lot more difficult sometimes in ways that aren't even explainable. Like, bugs that don't seem like they'd be a problem can turn out to be a problem. Or, like, certain part of the environment with the weather. And there are so many factors that can um, make it much, much harder than it would seem like. When you're just thinking about it like, oh yeah, I could plant trees and... I can be sustainable and all that. But often there's a bigger sacrifice than people um, understand. And we see that a lot. They'll come here and they'll expect us to shelter them from those other parts of the world that um, are actually the more difficult parts. And they just want to do the fun stuff, the stuff they see in commercials and, oh yeah, sustainability and all that. And they want us to take on all the other stuff for them and that's not possible. And so then they put that on us. So that is an issue, another issue. Yeah, definitely. I see that. And it seems like a huge issue. And it's really crazy because how do you manage any of this? Like, how do you manage getting the right woofer to come, the wrong woofer? And you guys have dealt with this so many times over and over again. Yeah, and we continue to believe in it. You know, we that's the craziest part of the whole thing. And um, I, we just have to continue to refine our definite major purpose and our planning and our leadership skills you know, and uh, not always, not more isn't always better as well, you know. Uh, see, I think part of the disconnect comes from what it would mean to woof in the United States or Europe versus what it's like to go woof with a family who's struggling to make something happen in a third world country or a place that's struggling as such as Puerto Rico. I mean, there's a huge, huge difference. Because you're even changing like cultures and, um, you know, you, you can't ma imagine the hardships, you know, so then um, these things need to be addressed ahead of time. You know, it's beautiful here. There's beautiful beaches, there's beautiful mm -hmm. rivers and the trees. Everything is beautiful. Like I could take a million beautiful pictures just right now. But yet the, the realities are hard. And a lot of people too also will come in and think, well, oh, you could just start this business or that business. But there's a reality that like 90 some percent of the food in Puerto Rico is imported because a lot of food is grown um, because of mechanization. I mean, and because of advances in technology, there is a lot of cheap food, but there's also prices behind that that we're not really looking at, you know, the hidden cost. And then also a lot of products come from third world places and they're, they're cheaper. So Puerto Rico is like caught in the middle of that. And there's a disconnect too here of people having, valuing what they have because farmers for so long couldn't sell their produce because they couldn't, they were being undersold by food stamps and, you know, 
it, it's it's a profound and complex situation. Do you think that your vision with this farm and with farming in general is doable and can it be sustained in a larger way and kind of like your thoughts on that and kind of also the corruption of the food um, industry? Well, yeah, the, the, I, I really think that the earth wants to be bountiful and wants this to happen. So that's on our side. And a lot of people really want these, this, these solutions. We want these solutions. We don't want to be sitting at the hospital and you know but that's where i feel like it's becoming more necessary to work on the education side exactly the things i'm saying even though i might not be the clearest person on it maybe i can i can work on that you know type of communication because otherwise it's not going to happen because people really have to be brought down to earth you know you i don't know man it's like it's going to take a lot it's going to take a lot to turn this thing around because society's going off a cliff and then with the environment, I mean, you know, people can just say, it's just talk and just, you know, but it's not, you know, the, the animals in the slaughterhouses and stuff, that's real. You know, the, the forest being cut down, it's real. You know, the fish that aren't in the sea anymore, it's real, you know, and it's going to come to a head. Yeah. And, you know, I heard this thing once where people said that um, a, it was like a doctor said when he told people he gave them like a diagnosis where like if you don't quit smoking or you don't go on a diet you're gonna like die in like six months like 80% of the people could not change and that like blew my mind because that's what we're doing to this yeah. planet are we gonna be able to change or not definitely you know so I can't I've got to the point that I can't mince my words so if you're listening to this and you're thinking of coming here you know <laughs> you're gonna you're gonna hear these things and if these are the things you want to hear and this is the, how you want to move forward then we can work together and then we can see if we can make these projects work. if not you know everything in this universe is temporal you know people die animals die trees die civilizations rise and fall and I'm gonna live and die you know but this is our dream and we see this vision as being real and so we're going to continue to pursue it you know regardless and you know eventually we're going to be just be compost as well <laughs> that is true that is definitely true and yeah it just it also just seems like people really romanticize the ex these experiences and they really like um yeah like what you're talking about like the visuals and the picture perfect aspects of this and it's really interesting yeah. like how everyone i feel like the word sustainability is just becoming huge and it's really an important concept but it's like it's, it's like you really need to understand the definition of what sustainability is and like how you can actually participate in it and then also like what woofing actually is and how you can participate yeah, in yeah. it yeah well, woofing is i think it's different things for different people but i think you you really need to go, you have to almost, you know, I was hearing this thing where you have to become, like it would behoove us to become more monk-like, you know, and to follow those type of ideas as far as being like, you know, more minimalistic and more thinking in others. Like if everyone did that, imagine, you know, the progress we would have. Mm -hmm. And you have to, I, I personally feel like we're going into woofing, you have to go in with that state of mind. You know, you have to be into, um, you know, really putting other people's needs in front of yours. Because if we all did that, then we would all get more than our needs met, you know? Do you think that WOOF can be sustainable long-term? And, like, do you think it can work out as a concept? Well, it's working out for a lot of people, and I, I really commend people for being creative and continuing to work with it. Um, for us personally, I mean, I feel like uh, our, our profile has changed and evolved, and... When I talk to people, I just need to become more and more clear of what to expect. 
because there has been a lot of really disheartening situations. Yeah, definitely. Do you think like the model of woof works and, and makes sense or like what do you think, think needs it, to change? I think it makes sense, but I think that, uh, see what, what it, the, 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 the disconnect is the people who are woofing are people who are from more privileged backgrounds. And so what needs to change is the understanding of what you're really going out to do. Yeah. And I don't, I don't, not sure, you know, what needs to be written or how it could be explained or, you know, especially when you're coming to, I mean, but really for all farmers, like in the States, you know, because people are really, this is their passion, you know, and I, sometimes it comes to a point where you feel like people are just looking at you like, you know, an Airbnb or like a Uber ride or something. They're just trying to get the next game, you know, trying to do the next. And it's like, you know, that doesn't work. And also something that we were talking about before, like an aspect of woofing that doesn't work is like if it's a farm that doesn't make the income off yeah. of what they're doing yet, like you can't have that exchange of like the the food. Sometimes you can't have that full exchange. Like people yeah. are expecting too much out of a situation. I think people expect too much. I think that people have been, we're, we're institutionalized because most of the people who grew up in the States grew up and they went to school for 13 years and an institution, institution created by the government where there was like meals every particular time and there was like you know there was like a schedule a curriculum for you mm -hmm. to do but they're out here for most people you know we're creating our own curriculum mm -hmm. and it's a curriculum that has to do with like you know stray dogs coming onto your property and maybe neighbors coming to steal your stuff or you know um car problems and you know hurricanes and so we're creating constantly this is the the this people have been domesticated in the United States by these schools. And so they're not really aware that, um, that they have to, uh, that, 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 that they've been taken care of, you know, and now they're going out in, into the world into someone else's life and they're expecting that same thing. And, but yeah. if, you're, if you're coming into a place where there's struggle, then you have to realize that you're going to struggle. Huh. You know? That you're not immune to it just yeah, you're because not immune you're, to it, yeah. You know? And like the people that are taking you on, like we feel like we're protecting people in a sense because there are, there are places and farms and different situations you could end up and never even, no one would even know what happened to you. You know, it's, this is what, this is like the edge. Puerto Rico is like the edge of America versus the third world, you know? So um, I think, I think it's education. Yeah. You know? That people have to see it, and they have, and it's it's actually very good that people can come into these situations and see it. Yeah. But just you know. That's interesting that you also feel like you're sheltering people or you're you're keeping them safe when they're like 30 years old or like they you feel like they're still yeah. um, brainwashed by the school system even oh, yeah, as like a 30 yeah. year old that like it's not just like the teens that are woofing but it's like the entirety of the yeah yeah, yeah people are very domesticated like you don't understand what it takes to like pick coffee and peel it off and dry it and then grind it up and then make a cup of coffee it we have totally have a disconnect with the food that we eat we throw it away like it means nothing constantly and we um it's cheap and easy and other people are paying the price and so, that makes farming really yeah. difficult yeah yeah so when people come you know it's like this is this is part of the experience and it's it's a difficult experience because it's difficult i want to be liked i want to be just give people stuff and be happy you know but it's like when i there's a drain see there's a whole thing about 
Western culture too that was into taking. So we've learned to take and take and take. Oh, this is for me. Oh, thank you. You know, and then you go on, you know. And it's been a whole culture of that yeah. for a long time. And we don't understand. We're still, I, I'm originally from the States. So, you know, I was indoctrinated in that. And I'm still learning, you know, that it's like, um, we have to, we have to give back, you know. Definitely. And we talked a little bit about like the negative mindsets that people have when they come woofing. But what do you think are kind of like some more positive or like what types of mindsets do you think woofers should have coming in? Uh, they should. <laughs> or like even just they how they open. should prepare. Yeah. And they need to have the mindset of giving more than they take. Because it's the only way. And one other situation with woofing in third world countries. And th- th- like I said, this isn't exactly a third world country. But there's a lot of economic strife. Is... Unless someone's going to, I feel like they're almost, it's almost impossible in a sense because people want to save money, but the services that they're getting are almost like valuable enough to pay. That makes sense. So that's, I don't know if it can continue woofing on this level without being like really critically honest because otherwise, um, I mean, they're first, actually, probably a lot of the places that accept woofers in like Costa Rica or Colombia or something are probably stateside people who own farms. I, I, I don't know that for sure, but I think a lot of them probably are. And see, it's one thing if you have the resources. Like if I had a, like a building and someone could just have an apartment, that would be fine. But, you know, we, we like kind of live on the land. So there's, uh, it's, it's difficult, you know, and it's difficult for visitors as well. Yeah, definitely. Um... And yeah, can you just talk a little bit more about like what the word exchange actually means? Because I think a lot of people when they see woofing, like they don't really know what that means or they just assume, you know, that it's like um, I do some work, you give me food and water. But like, what does that exchange like mean in the context of woofing? In my mind or I mean, because I'm not like I'm not like I'm only an expert in what I can exchange and something yeah. like that. I know every place is, is different and I, I think that's okay you know because some people have an apartment for people and the people cook their own food I've read a lot of different profiles and it's very good to do that and I need to read more like some people you know like they have a huge business and they have some like a place for other people to live and they live there and they live very comfortably and then the the work is very structured you know, like you have to transplant these plants in the nursery and water this and then do sales at the front desk or something. Our farm is different. You know, our farm is very um, back to basics and we don't have a big infrastructure, like as far as a whole bunch of buildings. So um, it's for people who, who want to live close to the earth and want to experience this and aren't afraid of, you know, um, getting a little dirty I don't know yeah. but you know so our exchange see I think woofing is different in a lot of, there's just a lot of different types of the variety yeah. so the exchange is different you know and like even like some people you know it's easy to exchange with regularly but it's the person's ability to understand it's their maturity and it's not their age it's their internal maturity uh, and their t- internal understanding of what's really happened and their ability to feel the other people you know, and their ability to look at service, you know? Definitely. So kind of to close this all out, what is your advice for people wanting to do work exchange 
who are interested in traveling differently, more sustainably? Like, what is your advice to people to do it right? Uh, Booker, you have any ideas on that? Um, just go and be ready for anything. <laughs> because um, things can be extremely dynamic, even with the most um, set-up situation. Like, even if it is, like, a business or, like, a fully established farm, things can happen that are very unexpected. And you have to be ready for that. And you have to be ready to, um, both parties have to give more than they take. And uh, that's the only way it can really, um, work for both parties. Definitely. Yeah, I, you said that well. I mean, that's what I would have said. <laughs> you know, I, we um, the advice is to ask ask a lot of questions, but even know as you're asking these questions by text and by email and phone, and you're expecting this host to fill you in on every last little detail of what you should bring. And this has happened to me, and every last <laughs> little thing. And there, you know, you're for months and stuff, and you're you are already engaging in a relationship with this person these are these relationships are important you know and you need to come with the attitude of service and that you're going to work and help these people because unless there's something really wrong when you get to a host site these people are working really really hard and have a dream and a dedication towards something and they're just hoping and praying that you are going to work out they're just hoping and praying that you're not going to be, you know, stuck up and that you're going to be ready to work and that you're going to help with these things and that you're going to know that they're probably tired. They've probably been doing this a long time and they're probably tired. So if you can help pick up some of the pieces, that would be great. Hey, New Age Nomads. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. I hope you enjoyed. And if you want to check more out about woofing and about the farm, just check out Generation Nomad on Instagram. Hope you have an amazing week.